all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? I'm Rachel. And I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. <laughs> Sounds like a rooster on that one. <laughs> I wanted it to be jubilant because I am back. She's back in the hosting chair. I am back because all of the energy that I was putting into school, I can now put into research and we are in for a treat. I, for I can, I can, weeks to come. I can feel the energy already. <laughs> Um, housekeeping, because we never mention it properly up top, um, rate, review, rescribe. Yeah, we always seem to forget about that at this point. Which yeah, somehow. We shouldn't. No. Um, at All Bad Things Pod, Twitter, Insta, Facebook. We have a Facebook discussion group. Again, I don't which know how what, you find I, it. Just, go, just look for it. Which is what it. I thought Facebook was, <laughs> yeah. but apparently there's a subset. So, so now we have two. <laughs> Like our page and join our discussion group. Um, maybe it's like book club or something. I, guess, I don't know. Yeah, I, I still don't completely understand <laughs> the logic of it. Me neither. It's a smaller group, so maybe it's yeah. just more intimate. I don't know. I guess. Um, uh, feel free to email us, allbadthingspod at gmail. Suggest stuff. We like that. We're good with that. And we're doing a listener suggestion today. Oh, okay. Yes. I'm also researching another listener suggestion from multiple listeners. So it's a big topic ah. that'll be coming up soon, probably next episode. Um, my big, big one will come along when I'm done with all the research. I really want to do this one well. So I'm going to be teasing it for a while, probably. Um, shout out to Abby's mom. Who we discovered oh, listens yeah. to us. <laughs> Our mega fan, Abby, her mom, who is apparently um, uh, skews somewhat conservative and Christian, mm -hmm. is very open-minded, apparently, because she likes us and finds us sweet, which is so kind. It is. And we find you sweet, too. Absolutely. Sorry we don't know your name. She also Reach thinks, out and let us know. She also thinks we make death fascinating. Yes! <laughs> Which is, that's a compliment. Wasn't the, uh, I'm not sure that's the angle we were going for, but if that's what somebody <laughs> gets out of it, then hey. Hey, it works. It, it kind of is. Manners of death, perhaps, Yeah. are fascinating. I mean, I, I'm not exactly looking forward to going through it myself. I would but not, I would not, the last thing I would feel if I was in the middle of a fire would be fascinated. I'm very fascinated by this. Well, I don't think, in all I'm fairness, I don't think that's what she meant. But I'm about to die. Like those, <laughs> like those poor bastards in California trying to get oh, out man, of that. Oh, man, the wildfires. God, I watched a lot of stuff on Ugh. that today. I didn't realize how bad it was. M it looks like It literally looks like hell. Yeah, many people have died at this yeah. point. So, um, Which will eventually... I mean, disasters happen every day, mm -hmm. so we, we will be covering that one one day, I'm sure. So so definitely a, a salute to those firefighters and yeah. all first responders that are dealing with that. It looks like it's... Uh, I, I don't even want to imagine having to work in that. Yeah, no kidding. And, and you, your grandfather was a fire chief. Yes, he was. And one of my best friends is a fire captain. So. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, no, I'm with you. That's, that's scary shit, and I wouldn't want to have to deal with it. Um... 
Not to mention all the poor people who have gotten displaced. Oh yeah, because that's, of uh, it. Because that's just this is very odd. This this drum throne sitting on it. So I normally sit on just one of our dining room chairs, but because my neuroses um, necessitated that the chair be used instead to prop up our um, floating entertainment center that didn't quite work to my <laughs> my safety satisfaction. And to our uh, disappointment. Yeah. But oh well. Well, it's the builder's fault for not putting enough studs in that wall. But exactly. anyway. I can, only, I can only be in one place at one time. Ha <laughs> <laughs> Feels good not to be doing the topic tonight. I could just be an idiot like usual. <laughs> It took me a second to get that one, but it was good when I did. Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm sitting on your drum throne. Yes. It's a little tall, so I'm sitting awkwardly. And that is actually what the seat of a drum set is called. It's called a throne, also yes, known as a toilet in some people's oh, houses. Ew. I'm kidding. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> but it is. Some people call it the throne. I have heard that. Yeah. That's that's it. That's like a dad joke from the 80s, like mm-hmm. Al Bundy would have called 80s. it. Yeah. I was a little kid. Yeah. I grew up in the 90s, but... Mm. Yeah. You spent the bulk of your childhood in the 80s. Yeah, but like growing up, meaning, you know. Yeah, you were a child of the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm talking about like getting into my adult years was the Well, 90s. that was in the early 90s. Yeah. <laughs> I turned 13 in on January 16th, 1990, so I spent literally my entire teenage years minus 15 days in the 90s. My I, coming of age years is what I'm trying to say. Gotcha. Mine were slightly split, mostly in the 90s, but a few were in the 2000s. I turned 16 at the very end of 2000. Yes, you did. So that would put me... I, I consider myself a child of the 90s, for sure. The bulk of my growing up years. But I'm an adult of the 2000s. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just define all... Uh, yes. I was an infant of the 80s. There's that. Anyway. Yeah. All right, are we ready to move on? Yes, I think I, I our think listeners the, are. I think the audience is, too. <laughs> All right. Oh, what are we uh, drinking tonight? Oh, we haven't yes. announced that in a while. Yeah, that's true. We have um, special brews. I stopped by Triangle Wine in Cary today oh. and picked up um, a Duclaw Sweet Baby Java for myself. Their Sweet Baby Jesus is very good, and this yes. is the same just with espresso. Mm-hmm. That is pretty good. I'm, although... I should have thought about the caffeine level. Yeah. I don't know. It'll help. <laughs> I am having the Southern Tier Creme Brulee Imperial Milk Stout. It is delicious. I did. I'm not, a, not a big milk stout yeah. person, but this one is. I did yummy. accidentally try it once. Mm-hmm. It was delicious, but I really can't, can't have it because no. it's milk. So, um, well, I, I have to. St- I do think I need to stop saying I can't. Have that. You I choose, choose not, not to. to. Yes, because saying can't would make it sound like I have some sort of intolerance or allergy. That is not true. It is a choice and a privilege, and therefore, um, we'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I researched this week again because I'm back and um, better than ever. No. And, and hopped up on espresso. Oh, yeah, it's starting to kick in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this week we are doing the first of this type of tragedy oh, and disaster. Train wreck? Bingo. Yes, nice. we have not. Well, we talked we about talked that. We talked about it. We did talk about that it. we've never done one, which I can't believe, but. That's right. So this is a there's first many. for us. Uh-huh. I'm sure there's quite a few. So this, my friends, is the story 
of the Ladbroke Grove rail tr- rail crash. I almost said rail trash. That's some must be something. The different. Ladbroke Grove, Grove rail, rail crash. crash. Ladbroke. Yes. Okay. Ladbroke Grove. Yeah. On October fifth, nineteen ninety nine, a train crash in London killed thirty one people and injured more than five hundred others. Wow. Yeah. So I'll bet. At the top, big shout out. This was a listener suggestion. One of our loyal listeners, Alcinder. Oh, okay. Uh, suggested yeah. this. Or Alcinder. I'm trying. I, I believe they are British, so I'm trying to think of how it might be pronounced in British. Alcinda. 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 Sure. Yeah. It sounds well. more Australian, but anyway. Oh well, I'm better at my Australian <laughs> than my British. So thank you very much for suggesting this topic. And like we said, we like they just they just suggested it, but it also happened to be a, a topic that yeah, we've something never, we've never done. Yeah, the the uh, a train crash. I keep wanting to say like a crane trash. Okay, I don't know so why. It's the, uh, it's the espresso. It must be, <laughs> or maybe it's the baby Jesus. It might be that too. Yeah. All right. So to avoid being too Western centric. And as obvious as this may seem, we're going to go ahead and set up the geography. <coughs> Excuse me. So this crane trash, <laughs> train crash, happened in London, which most people are aware is in England, um, in the United Kingdom, and it's near the southeast corner of England. Um, it happened near Paddington Station. Have you heard of Paddington Station? I think I have. Yeah, it's one of the more famous um, train stops. I think that was in that movie about the the homeless guy with the cat. I think that's where he was doing his street performance. What was that called? I can't remember. Bubbo or something like the cat's name was. Oh, Bob. Bob. A cat named Bob. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. And the real cat portrayed himself. Yes. (laughs) Interestingly enough. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's right. Because he busked, and Mm -hmm. I think that's where he was. Was that early in the early in the film? I've heard of Waterloo Station and Paddington Station. That sounds Station. familiar for some reason, too, but when I hear water, Waterloo, all, all I think of is Iowa. Oh, I was thought you were going to say Napoleon. Oh, well, I guess that'd be second or <laughs> I third. Always, I always think of the Kinks. They did a song called Waterloo Sunset. It was a really nice song. Hmm. Anyway, let's get back to Paddington. Let's get back to a train <laughs> crash. <laughs> um, so Paddington is kind of one of those names you recognize Many chil- many people who were children during a certain era, and maybe even now, because I think they came out with a movie uh, recently, like a live-action movie about it, was Paddington Bear. Remember those books as a kid? Paddington Bear? Yeah. You nodded, so I'm filling it in. Because <laughs> I was in the middle of a yawn, so yes, that's you all are. I <laughs> So Paddington Station is in central London. Now, London is, and yes, this is a super obvious statement, a huge city with a large and sprawling metro area. Um, do you want to guess population? Uh, I would guess, like, the population of the actual city or the metro area. Uh, so the city uh, the city proper is always pretty small comparatively, sure. right? So let's... I'm going to go... Greater London. So Greater London, not I would go... Not the whole go, metro sure. area, just Greater London. I would, I'd guess 10 million people. You're not far off, about nine. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so nine million people. Um, to give context, New York City... 
general vicinity is also nine million. Mm-hmm. Um, the London metro area is about fourteen million, whereas the New York metro area is closer to twenty million. Yeah. So the New York sprawls more. New York, the, the New York City metro area goes across three states. New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. Connecticut yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. Yeah. That also known sense. as the tri state area. There's many tri state areas. But that's the most important one. Oh, come on. <laughs> I'm sure there's a tri-state between, like, Nebraska and two other states at borders, <laughs> which I can't think of right now, but well, I'll tell who you, gives a shit about that part? I'll tell you this. In Miami, we had no mention of a tri-state area because no. we were too far from any other state. Yeah, exactly. Our closest and your states city were, like, <laughs> Bimini and Cuba, yeah. and who the, are closer than other The state. tri-state in 20 years in Miami is going to be, like, the ocean floor. Pretty that much, would be your, yeah. No, <laughs> that's, that's, that's very true. That's very true. Um, so anyway, huge, huge metro area. And because of how big it is, no shock, London has a shit ton of traffic and commuter congestion, as would be expected. The average person working in London has a commute of an average of how long would you guess? 90 minutes. Wow, that's excessive. It's actually oh. just 45 minutes. Because oh, some people okay. live in London, so they're sure. like walking to work or whatever. I'm thinking of New York City again. But area. even people in New York wouldn't have that long of a commute on the, average because yeah. think of the people who live in the city who are just walking to work. That would bring the average way down. True. You are right, though, that a lot of people, like especially commuters on trains, they're on a train for an hour, hour and a half, two hours sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um. Uh, about 10% of all people in Great Britain take the train as their main transportation to commute to work, and the average rail commute is about an hour. So, because of... Uh, now I'm re- rereading my own... I've forgotten how to do this. I'm rereading a paragraph. <laughs> I do it all the time. It's okay. <laughs> now, another obvious statement, maybe, for some here again, but trains are a big deal in the UK. Yes. And especially in the UK. Anywhere. You're right. You're right. No, that's true. But um, Great Britain actually has the oldest railway system in the world. Yeah, that's not surprising. Yeah, and it's continually expanding to this day. Um, Most of Britain's tracks are managed by a company called Network Rail, which is a non-departmental public body of the UK government. So it's... Uh, it's like a non-governmental organization, but only kind of technically. They're not really considered a subset of a department or an agency. And I know that there are, I know because of following, I, I was following certain UK elections and things like that. Um, it is also in private hands in certain cases too. And that's been a thing that... What has been in private hands? Um, railways, systems well, like that. Well, we'll get yeah. into the privatization, but... Um, and they're trying to... The Labor Party, whichever party that Jeremy Corbyn is in, I think the Labor Party... I think so. ...is wanting to renationalize the railroads. That, that's one of their... Oh, that's interesting. ...top priorities. We're, we're going to get into that a little bit. Um, wow, I didn't know this was like a... Mm-hmm. That's a pretty big thing. A mm-hmm. uh, current issue, mm-hmm. a current topic, because we are going to get into that in a minute. Um but anyway, uh, Network Rail, it, like I said, it's it's not really a subset of a government department, but the ministers, the, the department heads, um, have to answer to Parliament for Network Rail's actions. So they're somewhat responsible. There's some oversight. Yes. But probably not a whole lot. Well, 
we'll, we'll get into keep that. going. Yeah. Uh, so I can't really think of a. I was trying to think of like a, a an analogy or like a something similar. Not, to not here. But I don't think it's either it's either private or it isn't. Pretty much. There's yeah. not. There's subcon. There's contractors. Sure. There's there's things like co-ops and things like that. But for the most part. Either it's, it's either a government or private, entity or yeah. a private one. Yeah, yeah one pretty of, it's much. One or the other. Um, I don't think that, I don't think there's any mixture of the two. Really, I don't yeah. think so. So basically, it seemed like Network Rail kind of has basically a monopoly on the rail system in Great Britain, but that's sort of because it's kind of not really a part of the government itself. Anyway, um, maybe our British listeners can explain. But as of last year, Network Rail had 15,811 kilometers, which is 9,824 miles of track running through Great Britain. No shit. And that's, yeah, and that's that country like, is not that's like half the size of ti- That's like nine times the size of Great Britain. Yeah, all basically. Those tracks. That's Holy a lot shit. of tracks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now that's, 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 just, a, that's three trips across America. Right, right, yeah. Back and forth, yeah. yeah. So now that is just like rail. That's not including many cities and lo- local um, rail and light rail and sure. uh, underground. Sure. Like um, the London Underground, the London subway system is not included in that. So it's a lot. There's a lot of tracks. Um, and of course, there's the channel, which is one of my bucket list items. Okay. You know what the channel is, right? I'm, I'm blanking on really? that. Really? No. It's so awesome. So Channel. Yeah. It is an undersea railway. They ha- they literally dug a tunnel oh, through the English Channel yes. to Paris. Okay. Yes. I didn't I guess I didn't know it was called that. Well, but that's yeah. the that's the nickname, at least that I grew up learning. They, so they yeah, because they finished that when I was like in junior high or something like that. I didn't write down when it I, I forgot they, when it I was. I think they open. did, because it was a big deal that they made that. Yeah, um, I can imagine that they made that dig fucking mm-hmm. underneath the end. Yeah. Yeah, which I think is super cool, and I really want it to is. go on that. It is. Uh, that's quite an engineering feat. It would be a little claustrophobic <sighs> and a little scary to yeah, think Yeah, I would not about, want to work but... in there. No. <laughs> hey, if this, uh, if this collapses, then you're going to drown. Or get crushed to death, or both. I'd prefer, Have a good day. I'd prefer crushed. It'd be faster. True. Drowning is supposed to be really unpleasant. I'm sure it is. So let's hope we never find out either. <laughs> That's right. So the so now we're going to get into a little bit about the privatization and everything. So the train system in Britain was originally built by private companies. The Transport Act of 1947 nationalized it under the umbrella of British Rail Railways, controlled by the British Transport Commission. Post World War Two. It's also the same year that they started the NHS. Okay, so it makes sense that they were nationalizing a lot of things because mm-hmm. they had to rebuild, had to rebuild. a lot yeah. of infrastructure. And so. England was a mess after World War II. Yeah. All of Europe was. Yeah. So at that point, like upon the privatization or very soon after, um, participation, uh, like passenger numbers on, on trains, like tanked. It sure. really started going down. Um, then in 1994... They went back to privatization, so they privatized the railroads. Um, now, not surprisingly, surprisingly, this actually happened under a conservative government. At least I think this is not surprising because um, the idea of you know small government don't 
nationalize everything, you know, have it Mm -hmm. be in private hands, that sort of thing. Now, after this privatization, passenger levels increased significantly. Okay. Um, Now, it's still, like, present day, nowhere near the levels that it was before, but of all modes of public transportation in Great Britain, trains have seen the absolutely biggest rise in the past 20 years or so. Mm. So... Yeah, and that was in, let's see, they privatized it in 94. That was almost 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. So, 94 was almost 25 years ago. I don't want to be reminded of that. That means 95 <laughs> was almost 25 years ago. What would the significance of that be? I have no idea. It was the middle of the decade? Is that what you mean by significance? The decade was halfway over? Somebody graduated that year and is coming across his 25th high school. Graduated what? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll give you a hint. It wasn't me because I was 10 <laughs> I know, for most that, of 1995. That sounds really creepy when you put it that way. Well, all right. But yes, we, we did we did meet when I was 36 and you were 29. Eight. Eight. Anyway. You keep thinking that I'm seven years younger. I am eight years younger than you. There's one month, four weeks where I am only seven years younger than you. And then the rest of the year, I'm eight years younger than you. I better start working out. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So now that we know a little bit more about the British rail system, we're going to get into the crash. Hmm. So there were two trains involved in this crash. So we're not talking about a single train derailing. We're talking about a literal train crash. Hmm. Um, So two trains. One was driven by a 31-year-old man named Michael Hodder. And Hodder was brand new to driving trains. He had only finished his driver training 13 days before the crash. So he was very new. So he was a newbie. He was, about two weeks. Um, And he was driving a three-car Class 165 turbo diesel train, which is a British rail train. And he had 147 passengers on board. And this train was operated by Tim's Trains, as in the River Thames, not oh. Tim. T H Y M E S. T H A M E S. Oh, the Thames yes, River, the Thames, yes. yes. And so, I was going with the Times. <laughs> so not um, not some guy named Tim whose train it was. Tim's Tim the train. train. Tim the train. <laughs> Tim's train. Um, and yes, I am aware it is the Thames and not the Thames. So I always thought it was the Thames. Did you really? <laughs> I've never. I've never, never heard, heard it pronounced it? correctly, I guess. My or if mom, I did, I don't remember. My mom's kind of an Anglophile, so that's mm. probably why I, I knew that it was the Tims. Um, big royal family fan as well. The number of Diana books she has is like not Quite a few. even funny. I even got her one for Christmas. You did, yeah. yes. <laughs> um, so the other train involved in this incident was an Intercity 125 another British rail train, but it was operated by First Great Western Railway and had eight cars, so this was a larger train. The other one had three. This one had eight. It was a high-speed train, and it was driven by 52-year-old Brian Cooper, who was a lot more experienced. He had been a driver for, like, 30 years, and his train had 421 passengers on board, so there's a lot of people, a lot of people involved. Um, Oh, I meant to say, I did, I think I tweeted or put this on Facebook, but I do have to um, 
admit that... So, I'm not a a fan of uh, reenactment shows in general. So yeah, like I'm not Seconds either. Seconds from Disaster. Yeah, because it's, it's usually just cheesily and awfully done. I, mean, th- I like that they get interviews with people who actually yeah. went through it. That's very... But yeah, the reenactment part is... The only show that I've ever watched where they do the reenactments somewhat justice is that uh, Locked Up Abroad. Oh, really? That's a, that's, a never, pretty, that's a pretty good show. I've never seen it. Oh, it's good. So, but I did actually watch, like, the first ten minutes of the Seconds from Disaster on this one to get the visual. It, it actually really helped. And then I couldn't deal with the melodrama anymore after that. On the Locked Up Abroad, more often than not, they have the actual people doing the reenactments. Oh. Yes. I be so, willing to do to hey, do that. I would be like traumatic. It might and maybe for some. I was just gonna say for some maybe it's a form of therapy maybe. just to go through. Nah, who knows? I don't but know. Yeah, okay. it's pretty fucked up. It is. <laughs> so on the morning of October fifth, nineteen ninety nine, Hodder's train left Paddington Station in Central London at eight oh six a.m. BST, which is British Summer Time. So this uh-huh. was something I only learned recently that in Great Britain they have daylight saving time. Oh, it's not okay. the exact same. They don't as do ours. it at the exact sure. same time as we do, but same idea. Yeah, they're in a different hemisphere, so. No, they're not. No? We're all in the northern hemisphere. Oh, yes, you're correct. Yeah. I now, don't... I have no idea where the eastern hemisphere ends or begins and where the western hemisphere ends and begins, so don't ask me that, but I, I'm pretty sure the equator is what <laughs> cuts yes. us in half, so, yeah. So, October 5th was a Tuesday, and this was around 8 o'clock in the morning, on uh, a work so, day. Yes, people are yes. just going to work. Yes, so rush hour. Um, about 50 trains were going in and out of Paddington Station every hour. So basically, like, once a minute, there was a train coming in the station. Hodder's train was outbound. It was heading west out of London toward the Ladbroke Grove Junction. So it was, it was outbound, head, heading out of the city. Now, I don't know if that means that... Maybe that's why it was a smaller train, because they probably needed to bring more people into central London at that time of day than they did going out, and then vice versa for yeah. the evening, but I, I don't Who knows? know. Yeah. Kind of, and, kind of like Interstate 40 here. Yeah, right. The Although, I don't know, lately it's been pretty it's bad kind of a, either way. Kind of a mixture. Yeah. yeah people going in and yeah. going out. Well, because some people live in Raleigh and work in Durham mm-hmm. and Chapel Hill, so... And vice versa. Yep, exactly. So, meanwhile... So, so that was Hodder's train, outbound from Paddington Station. So meanwhile, Cooper's train was headed into central London. So that was the inbound train. Now, from what I can tell, it was a commuter train, came from a lot farther outside the city to head in towards London. And its origin was Cheltenham. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say that On instead my list of, of uh, Cheltenham. It, it is spelled Cheltenham. Cheltenham, but I'm guessing it's pronounced Chelten, Cheltenham. 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 There we go. Pip pip. Uh, which is about. <laughs> do you like that? I did. So that's about 90 miles or about 145 kilometers west northwest from central London. But still, I mean, 90 miles is a long commute, but. In a big city, a lot of people are going to do that commute. So. And, and uh, one of them is, what, a turbo diesel or something? And the other one's a high-speed train? So Yes. 
Yeah, yeah. these. Uh, yeah. They're probably just shuffling them in and out every thirty minutes or something like that. The I'm I'm not sure of the schedules, but I obviously like Paddington was super busy. So mm-hmm. yeah, I would imagine there's a lot of them. Um. So it's departure time. The the train coming inbound uh, was leaving Cheltenham at 6.03 a.m. So already it had been on the road for like a couple hours because it had to go a long distance. Probably a bunch of stops, too. So its last stop, so this it had already made its last stop, was in Reading. And I do know that it's Reading and not Reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Reading Th- is... Thank you, Monopoly. <laughs> That's right, Reading Railroad. Mm-hmm. Although I always called it Reading Railroad as a kid. I remember my mom, because it was a Pennsylvania Railroad railroad company. My uh-huh. mom was like, it's Reading Railroad. Go get <laughs> oh, because there is a Reading, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So Reading is about 40 miles or 64 kilometers west of London. So kind of halfway between Cheltenham and, and London. So these train lines, the tracks themselves, were kind of crazy complicated. It wasn't just like the the drivers had to stay on like one track and just head in and then head back out. There were switches and I'm sure. like well, crossovers and signals and there was yeah. all sorts of shit going on. It was kind we're, of a we're, ta- spaghetti. we're talking just one company has what was it, nine thousand miles worth of track line that was just one company? No, no, and, that was National Rail, which oh, is okay. pretty much everything. Yeah, um, yeah over nine thousand. And if you're miles. laying that out over a land space that's so much smaller than to have, then there's, yeah, there's going to be loops and crisscrosses and figure eights. and, and oh, yeah. yeah, exactly. So you, you probably do have to really mm-hmm. have a good sense of what the fuck you're doing. Now, what I'm about to say is going to start giving us a sense of what's going to happen. Um, the train tracks involved switches and signals and changeovers, and between Paddington Station and Ladbroke Grove, they were also bi-directional which means that trains could go both in and out on the same track. Oh, okay. And what stopped the trains from crashing were signals to tell one train to stop, another train to go, et cetera. We see where this is going. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, these signals uh, worked, worked, well, I'm. I don't know whether to use the past tense or consider that this is still how they work. I'm going to go ahead and say work because they probably the same system now, but um, this was almost 20 years ago. Anyway, um, so they, the signals work on what is known as a four aspect system. There are four different lights that can go, that can be used on this signal. One is red, which obviously just means like stop. It's telling the train driver to stop the train completely. Um, and wait, because another train is going by on the track that they're wanting to go on. Um, there's green. Obviously, that means you're fine. Go. And then there are two different yellow signals, a single yellow and a double yellow. The single yellow means proceed with caution, and the double yellow is like an additional caution given farther in advance for high-speed trains to tell them to slow down because they are going to be approaching a red. So it's like a, an extra. Obviously, a high-speed train needs more time to sure, slow down. Sure, absolutely. So, so, suffice it to say, there was a lot of logistics involved, both by the drivers, who had to be aware of everything that they needed to do, and by the signalers, who controlled the flow of the trains, 
from a central remote location. Can you imagine just trying to create this sort of infrastructure? Oh, I know. And well, all the was, moving pieces that... It was built that, up over, sure. like, at this point, almost 200 years. Right, but even so, but, just... Yeah. The, I mean... And every new technology mm-hmm. creates another upgrade, and yeah... Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine... The logistics involved are staggering. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, This central, like, signal control location um, is in Slough. Oh. Do you recognize that name? Where the the original UK office. Where the British office is. And David Brent. Yeah. Oi. Oi. Love, I love, love the original office. I was trying to remember some lines from that, but I can't. All I can remember, all I can think of is him doing the charity dancer. He's like. <laughs> it's on Netflix if you have not seen the British office. It is And remember, hilarious. I think it's funny, and this is coming from somebody who, do, who does not think British people are funny. All apologies to our British listeners. I'm standing. He has a poor sense of humor. I'm standing behind both of those statements. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> the results are in. British humor is so much better than ours. I'm sorry. It just it just is. British should people be are sorry. much funnier than we are. No, yes, they are. Anyway, Slough is west of London. It's like 20 minutes outside of London or something like that. I said that off the cuff. That's what I think I remember. Or maybe it was like 25 miles. Something like that. Sounds good to me. Okay. <laughs> um... And also looks like a very depressing place based it on really the It really does. Well, just, uh, yeah, there's something, kind of the, the reason I don't want to, that England is not high on my list of places to visit, is it just doesn't seem like you, the sun is ever out. Well, they have, I mean, they're known for what, and, London fog, London and rain, I, and that sort I, of I thing. I grew up in a place where we didn't get to see the sun for, I'm not even joking, like seven months out of the year, All so right. like I'm, I'm done you with that. You must have been miserable, because you get really moody when like yes. it's been rainy for a few days and we haven't seen the sun, and you get super depressed and moody I just do. based on that. I cannot imagine you seven months with that. Well, you get you. Well, I didn't know anything different, you know, growing up. That's just how it was. But now it's. I don't. Maybe that's. Maybe that's the trigger for me. Like uh, it makes me think of. <laughs> you feel like you're in Messina again. I guess. <laughs> that's that is depressing. Yes, it is. You've seen how depressing it is. I have seen. Sorry, but yes, Messina is depressing. I'm, so, I'm sorry too. The locks were cool. Yep. Anyway, there's only two of them in the whole country. You got yeah. to see. You got to see one. Yeah. The St. Lawrence <laughs> River is beautiful. Yes. I'll say that. So, all right. So, Central Signal Office is in Slough. And now this was 1999, so there was computer technology. So, they were monitoring the trains via computers. But we're talking a little more, not quite Oregon Trail graphics, but, you know, we're not talking Just a little bit ahead of that. Yeah. Yeah, This is still 20 years ago. So, um, we're talking original um, PlayStation graphics. You know, I never played an original PlayStation. PS2 was the first console uh. of the Sony's that I ever played. Was it like Super NES graphics, maybe? I mean, that's the earliest uh, console possibly. I remember. Yeah, but when the PlayStation came out, came out, there was an upgrade. And if you looked at it now, you'd be like, that's an upgrade over what? <laughs> the Super but Deluxe yes, version. But the, the PS2 was like the first, like, wow, like look at these graphics type of system. And now that now, look, look now that looks dated as fuck. <laughs> and now when you play a uh, Red Red Dead Redemption, your stepfather asks you, "Oh, what movie are you watching?" Because he thinks it looks like real. Yeah, yes. it's pretty darn close. Yes. They're closing in, that's for sure. So, 
The Thames train, which was the outbound train, the smaller train, was traveling a path that would take it to the down main line at Ladbroke Grove via Portobello Junction. Um, does the name Portobello ring any bells? All I can think of is obviously a mushroom. <laughs> yes, that's Portobello. Um, oh, but, but yes. Close enough. But there was, I think it was the original Mary Poppins, because there's a new Mary Poppins coming out with Emily Blunt. Remember we saw the... Yes, we We did. went to see Bohemian Rhapsody. It was a little trite, but very cute, and... I love Freddie Mercury. The guy who played Freddie was really good. Remy Malik, he did a good job. Yeah, he, he had was his, a he little had his, uh, skinny. He had his mannerisms down. It seemed. You know the one thing he missed when he played the piano. So Freddie had. I'm just going to go Uh-oh. off on this slightly. Queen sidebar. Queen sidebar. Sorry for the inane banter here, but Freddie Mercury had horrible form on the piano. He taught himself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and when you play the piano, your arms are supposed to be... I'm a piano teacher for anyone who doesn't know this. Um, and it was my instrument that got me into the Frost School of Music at the University of Miami, which I didn't actually go to, but still. Anyway, your arms hey, you are straight in. out in front of you, basically like bending at the elbow, and then you curve your fingers, and that's how you play. Freddie dropped his wrists, which is very poor form. So he played like this, which is really a played string Played like somebody's your... typing. Except kind of. if poor I form type, for I, typing, too. I know, but I type like that. I, well, you shouldn't. It's I, bad for your wrists. Yes, it is. So he did not do that. Why he do you played think I copy-paste so much? <laughs> anyway, back to the trains. Anyway, Portobello. So not back to the trains. Back to my other sidebar. I had a sidebar from a sidebar. The original Mary Poppins, um, there was a song called Portobello Road. Portobello Road, Portobello Road, street where the riches of ages are sold. Anything and everything. Yeah, I've got it on my. Uh, I've got it on my Spotify playlist. <laughs> I'm sure you do. That exact song. Anyway, <laughs> I haven't seen that movie in years, but I remember that song. That's, I think, the only song I remember. Oh, no, Tuppence. I remember Tuppence, Tuppence, a bag from the original Mary Poppins. I'll stop. No, let's move on. The Java is kicking in. So, <laughs> at Portobello Junction, there was a red signal that would indicate to Hodder to stop and wait because the Great Western train, the high-speed train, was passing along that track at which point Hodder would have been given the green to go ahead and continue on the track. At 8.08 a.m., the train Hodder was driving approached the red signal at the junction. Unfortunately, he continued through Mm. the signal at a speed of 41 miles per hour or 65 kilometers per hour. This is the uh, younger guy? This is the younger guy, smaller train, outbound train. And um, once he passed the signal, he continued accelerating to Mm. about 50 miles per hour or Mm. 80 kilometers per hour. The signalers in Slough did see this. There was like a warning. I was going to say, there's got to be some sort of a Uh fail-safe if something like this happens. Because it's all humans operating these trains for the most part. And the system, somebody's going to make a mistake at some point. Now, we're going to get a little bit later on, we're going to get into the warning systems a little bit more. But... um, 30 seconds after the Tim's train ran the red light, the inevitable happened. Mm. Uh, so the Tim's train and the Great Western Railway 
um, train collided. Hmm. Both drivers had slammed on their brakes, but it was too late. Um, so they hit almost head on. It, they were slightly offset. Okay. So it was more like side of the nose to side Which of the nose. Sometimes is worse. It, yeah, I guess I guess it just depends. Because that way you can um, just slice right through something where if you're head on, it, the, the impact is only going to. Well, I mean, we're talking uh, multiple anyway, cars. Yeah. It, it, yeah, so. Either way is terrible. The, but I think yeah. I think head on would kind Almost of be, be better. better. Mm-hmm. The combined speed of the two trains at the time of the collision was about 210 kilometers per hour, which is 130 miles per hour, because the Great Western train oh, was, was going coming 80, in. Yeah, because it was coming in, into mm-hmm. the station. Mm-hmm. So that's just terrific. Now, the Tim's train was substantially smaller than the Great Western train, three cars versus um, eight, not a high-speed train. And its front car was just demolished, completely destroyed. Yeah. Its diesel fuel leaked mm. and ignited. Oh, fuck. That created a fireball, which created multiple fires. Both drivers were killed on impact. I mean, that's not... not surprising. Yeah. And so were 23 passengers on the Thames train and five passengers on the Great Western train. And one additional passenger died in one of the fires Mm. um, for a total death toll of 31, 25 men and six women. Over 500 others were injured. So remember... It sounds like almost everybody else on the two trains. How could you not be? There were 570 people on board both trains, including the drivers. So yes, it was basically everybody, just about everybody who was injured, like from ranging in severity. But uh, many people on the high-speed train, the Great Western train, were getting ready to to pull into Paddington. So they had stood up oh, yeah. and started walking so, to the front mm-hmm. of the train and everything. So a lot of people were were standing up, got thrown around. Other people got burned from the fires or inhaled smoke. So some of the injuries were pretty extensive. Many people were initially trapped, had to escape some of the crashed cars. Now, the first responders were actually... People working in nearby shops who came to, like, run to help people. Emergency workers did arrive quickly, um, and they started putting out fires and pulling out survivors. Mm. Well, and they probably had, because they're very close to their destination, which is a major hub. And they in the middle probably, of London, basically. They probably have several emergency crews on standby, I would guess. So, or at the very least, yeah. just physically nearby. I would hope... That they have several crews, like, hey, just just like at airports. Well, they were a, right near a major city, yeah. or in a major city, yeah. so yeah. There were probably multiple crews pretty much ready to go anyway, Fuck. so. I can't imagine yeah. having to deal with that either. So, oh, let me show you the picture. Mm. Yeah. Do I want to see it? That's the picture of the Holy wreckage. Holy shit. Yeah. It is out outdoors for clarification. Mm-hmm. This is all outdoors, but... Um, if you Google it, you can see some of these pictures, but yeah, just yeah, fucked. derailed obviously all mm. of the cars and everything, and yeah, it was it was bad. So the investigation of this is pretty interesting too, and what was determined, uh, the crash was investigated in a formal inquiry that began basically right after the crash, same month. The inquiry was led by 
William Cullen, Baron Cullen of Whitekirk, because British people like their titles. Um, he was known as Lord Cullen, or the Right Honorable Lord Cullen, as he was credited on the report. Not as good as uh, Count von Zeppelin. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> That's still one of the best. <laughs> um so Lord Cullen was the Lord Justice Clerk from 1997 to 2001, and then the Lord Justice General from 2001 to 2005. So I'm going to explain what those mean. Uh, the Lord Justice Clerk is the second highest ranking judge in Scotland, and the Lord Justice General is the highest. So he was first the second highest ranking judge in Scotland, and then the, the highest ranking at the time of the report and the inquiry, he was the second highest in Scotland. So um, so basically all that to say pretty high ranking in Great Britain's judicial system. At the end of the inquiry, a two-part report was le- released, the first part in 2000 and the second in 2001. Most of the meat of what we're going to get into is in that first report. So it was determined through Lord Cullen's inquiry that prior to running that red signal, the red light, Michael Hodder had gone through a double yellow light and then a yellow light. Okay. So he had some caution ahead and then ran the red light. Um, It was also determined that Brian Cooper, the other driver, had all green lights. So it wasn't like there was some sort of malfunction. Sure. Like they both had greens or the systems. The the systems were doing what they should have done. Right. One person that fucked up. Yeah. Right. So the question was why did Michael Hodder run that red light? Now, running a red light in this circumstance in a train is known as a signal passed at danger or SPAD. Um, okay. I'm thinking it's pronounced S-pad and not spad. <laughs> so I'm going to call it an S-pad. But anyway, um, so Michael Hodder was a veteran of the Gulf War. He served in the Royal Navy. He had a wife, two little kids, and his wife found out she was pregnant with their third the week after this crash. Mm. Which is sad. Um Hodder's colleagues said that he was a smiling, friendly guy and that there was nothing unusual about how he was behaving the morning of the crash. Now, there were rumors in the British tabloids, which are notoriously vicious, way worse than American tabloids. I was going to say, if you think American tabloids are... American tabloids are stupid. Yes. American tabloids are bat boy and whatever the fuck. Like, British tabloids are, no, they are going to fucking tear you apart. They're they're claws out. Absolutely. Um, So there was speculation and rumors that he was suicidal, that he had been talking on his cell phone at the time and was distracted. Um, And additionally, it was revealed that Hodder had a criminal record. The year before, he had been convicted of Assault and a fray. Now, what that means, a fray, is a fight between two or more people in a public place that makes other people feel unsafe. So it could be just like a bar fight, basically. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't sound Somebody like it was... Somebody talking shit and... It doesn't you know. sound like it was a domestic dispute no. or anything. He may have just gotten drunk at a bar and gotten in a fight and gotten convicted of that anyway. Jeez, that, that's never happened to any man ever. Right? <laughs> Um, Including myself. I've never done that. (laughs) So despite his past, his his criminal record, and these rumors, Lord Cullen concluded in his report that, quote, 
there is no suggestion that driver Hodder deliberately ignored what was shown by that signal. So in other words, it didn't seem like some sort of deliberate suicidal or willfully negligent act um, or deliberate recklessness or anything like that. So the question remains, why did he go through that signal if it wasn't, you know, deliberate somehow? So... The report went on to conclude that the most likely scenario was that Hodder genuinely believed that the light was signaling him to go ahead and that there were a bunch of aggravating factors that led to this conclusion by him. So first, this particular signal, signal 109, also called SN109, was considered one of British Railway's most dangerous signals. Over the five years prior to this crash, um, Signal 109, uh, or sorry, there had been seven other SPADs at this one signal. So in other words, Hodder wasn't the only one who had this issue. Seven other times this had happened just in the previous five years. And that's because this signal wasn't fully visible, like clearly visible, until you actually got kind of close to it. And an approaching driver would have their view of the signal first obscured, like upon approach, by girders and line equipment, which would make it harder to view (laughs) until you're closer to it. Yeah, which is dumb. Yes, yes, it is. And also, at that particular junction, there were a bunch of other signals pretty close to SN109, so it could be difficult to discern, especially to someone who was new which signal meant which track. So it is possible he saw a different signal and was not looking at the correct signal. So Sounds like it's very possible he just got confused. Yes, yes. Now, that was just one thing. Let's keep going. So we know Hodder was really new at his job. He had only been on the job for like two weeks, and, and that was he had only finished his training like two weeks prior. Um, and a review of the training process for new drivers showed that there was were weaknesses in the curriculum, in the training method, and in, that included not enough training about S-pads, about, about avoiding and dealing with signals passed at danger. Uh, the trainers tended to not follow the course syllabus, so not do the training they were supposed to do, and some of the trainers weren't all that good at driving themselves, so there was a lot of weakness in this. And it was also possible, because of these weaknesses, because he was new, because of the signals, that Hodder thought he was on a different track altogether, potentially. Yeah, I mean, looking at uh, one of the first things you're going to do, okay, this guy was new. What did he know? What did he not know? Mm -hmm. So it doesn't surprise me that one of the first things that they would look at is, well, how how do we train these people exactly? Right. Like. Was he just a poor student, or was Did he, he poor have, Well, if he was a poor student, hopefully they would have gotten rid of him. Exactly. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it would it would probably come down to, you know, obviously learning all the signals, all the terminology, all that stuff, and then probably just riding with somebody. Riding for and driving. That was hundreds an, of hours. That was another thing. It was determined there wasn't enough practical experience, yeah. especially at the trickier spots. Sure. So. Yeah, that's one of the first things I thought of. Right? And that's not it. We're still going here. I'm sure. So there was a sort of fail-safe alarm system, which I said we would get into, called the Automatic Warning System, or AWS, 
the AWS gave an audible warning when a driver was approaching a yellow or red aspect. So it wasn't just fully relying on the driver seeing it. It, it was, was going to be as well. Yes. Hotter had canceled something this that, signal. Something that could have prevented last week's tragedy. Remember, because the because the uh, the kid in the cockpit. Oh, that's right. Yes, because it wasn't audible. It was not. It was well, just a visual was. warning signal. Right. This one was, but Hotter had canceled the signal warning, so he heard it and he turned it off. Now that was not an unusual thing to do. Because the idea was the signal was giving you a heads up, like, hey, you're approaching a yellow or a red potentially. And then a driver would be like, okay, got it. I'm going to keep my eyes out and turn off the warning so that it wasn't just, like, ringing on mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, unfortunately, in this case, it wasn't a yellow light that Hodder probably thought he was being warned about. It was a red light. Um, and there was no distinction in the, the signal, the warning signal, the of audible which signal. Was which was Yeah, between a yellow and it a red. It all sounded the same. Exactly. Now, on the flip side, in the train signal control room in Slough, it was determined that the warning system was also inefficient as the signalers had also been given a warning that Hodder sure. had gone through this yeah. signal. But it was too late, mm-hmm. and it would have taken them too long to contact him and be like, what the fuck are you doing? Stop. So Yeah, because once he went through this S-pad, it was only another 30 seconds. And yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if he's not catching that warning signal right away, it's pretty much done. I yeah. Mean, re- I mean, yeah. really. The way this was set up, yeah. yes. Absolutely. Um, now, on top of that, it was concluded that the staff in the control room on top of the fact that they just couldn't have given, like, they, they couldn't have warned him soon enough, they delayed it even further. Mm-hmm. So they were even late in responding anyway. So up to this point, I don't mean to cut you off, I'm sorry, but up to this point, it seems like there was a system in place, it just wasn't the best system. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's it, not. It's not there like there were was a lot of loopholes. It's just. The it's not like there was nothing there, and that this could happen anytime. There was A, B, and C, and D. Right. And right. It just didn't work. And it just yeah, it didn't work the way it was supposed to. So, as if that all wasn't enough, there were some additional issues. Um, Lack of other fail-safe measures, um, inspection neglect, big mm, fucking yeah. shock there. But the final main aggravating factor was actually the time of day. So okay. it was around 8 o'clock in the morning, and the time of year and the time of day, the sun was low and bright, and it was determined that it caused oh, it an obscure... Really- vision or obscured Hodder's vision or caused reflections or something to sure. that effect and um, played off the poor signal placement and all of the other aggravating factors, um, which could have just confused Hodder because he was new. I will definitely say having grown up in snow, there oh, are, there are those days where the sun is out, but there's snow everywhere and the reflection of the sun off the snow makes it very hard to see. Not even it really does. Not even just snow. There's like six days out of the year here. If you are driving like home from work oh, or yeah, to you're work, right. You just can't escape you that. Cannot that glare. see anything. Yeah. And if a if a 
if the sun is right behind a light you're trying to look at, what are you seeing? You're yeah, not nothing. seeing anything. You're just that hoping you definitely hit, You're just hoping you hit a tree line here and there that blocks it right? occasionally. But yes, I know exactly what you're talking it's about. It's awful. It's yeah. it's really bad. So so that was con- thought to be an aggravating factor. Sure. As well. So, Lord Cullen's second report delved further into the broader safety issues present in the rail system, but the bulk of his findings as to this exact incident um, was the first report from 2000. So, so, just a couple weeks before the accident, the Health and Safety Executive, the HSE, which is like the British version of OSHA, sure. Occupational Health and Safety, had announced that they would require an upgraded version of the AWS, the automatic warning system. Two weeks prior to this accident, they were going to upgrade it. And it was supposed to be instituted in 2004, like five years later. But after the report, they bumped it up. (laughs) They're like, okay, we'll get it done a year earlier. We'll get it done by 2003. Lord Cullen's report also noted that privatizing the railways hadn't statistically helped or hurt the safety of rail transport, but it raised concerns about, quote, the safety implications of the disaggregation of the rail industry. I mean, it was kind of fragmented. Sure. And like, who's minding the store a mm-hmm. little bit? Um, an emphasis on performance standards had also created a culture that was less geared towards safety. Big shock. That's what happens in business. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, there's nothing wrong with setting performance standards at all. There, there should be a performance standard. Wherever Not in work. a vacuum. But I'm, exactly. <laughs> but what I'm a... saying is if it's going to infringe on safety. safety then, then it's a big fucking issue. Yeah. Then that's negligence. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. And it's valuing um, money over mm-hmm. human lives, which business does very, very well. Right. It does very specifically all the time. Uh, as a result of the recommendations given in Lord Cullen's report, a Rail Safety and Standards Board was created in 2003, and the Rail Accidents Investigation Branch was instituted in 2005. The Rail Safety and Standards Board is as it, the name would suggest, is responsible for defining uh, standard operating procedures for it's railway probably, operations. Probably like the NTSB here. Yeah, that would make sense. Yep. Yeah. Except this is specifically just for railways. Just for trains. Yeah, yeah. Just, just for trains, which makes sense considering how extensive the network of trains right. is in Great Britain. So, And then the Rail Accidents Investigation Branch does exactly what it sounds like, investigates um, accidents on trains, in trains, so... In April 2005, Tim's Trains was... I still think... I, I know. Still, it just still Tim's, sounds like Tim's Tim... Tra- who's so, Tim? Who's Tim? sounds like something you get at like a train store. <laughs> like you know, Thomas those, the Tank Engine? No, like Tim's those... Trains. You know how people collect like a... Uh, oh, the model the, rail. Yes. That are very intricate sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Well, they're supposed to be like a lot of those... Are supposed to be like exact replicas historically of the real, accurate and yes, stuff. Yes, yeah. the real train. I never went down that road of being into train collection, <laughs> uh-huh. but I could see how people would see it's fascinating. It is, and it's Bobby Bacala and Sopranos. That's right, he was. Yes, <laughs> he was. He was a train trains. enthusiast. Yes, he was. So yeah. Anyway, so Tim's trains in two thousand five was fined two million pounds. And required to pay an additional £75,000 in legal costs after they admitted violating health and safety laws. Network Rail was also charged with violating that. After admitting it. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, okay. They were charged with violating the Health and Safety at Work Act of 1974 in connection to the accident, and they pled guilty in October 2006. They were fined six million pounds and ordered to pay an additional two hundred twenty-five thousand pounds in legal costs. Signal SN109 was put back into service in February 2006, and from what I could tell, is still there today in in, um, in operation. Though it was con- it was changed to a different type of signal called a single lens, which I'm guessing is more effective. I don't know. I couldn't find much on whether they'd cleaned that shit up. I am imagining so because this was a big fucking deal. In 2017. 273 S-pads occurred. Wow. So last year, but there's some interesting statistics to note on this. Um, In 2002, that was, I think it was like 413 or something. So it has gone down significantly. And of those 273 S-pads, 75% of them were considered of no significant risk. So, like, no one was coming the other way. It wasn't a big deal, whatever. Um, 22% of them were considered, quote, potentially significant risk. 3%, so about eight instances in the whole year, were considered potentially severe. Okay. So, it really wasn't a ton, and it has been reduced pretty significantly over the past 15 years or so. And in fact, in 2002, of the 400 whatever S-pads, 70% were considered of potentially significant risk. So, So the mix has changed. And this is very interesting. No passengers. Now, it's important to note that this is passengers, not people outside of the trains, not people on the tracks, other things like that. No passengers have been killed in train accidents in Great Britain since 2007. That's a pretty good thing. So, yeah. Now, whether there's just (laughs) the next one's around the corner, and good God, I hope I shouldn't have said that. Knocking on all the wood nearby. But but it appears things are a little better under control. Now, it would be very interesting if the um, rail system was, was, uh, sorry, nationalized. Um, to yeah, see how I mean, that might change things. I don't know. Better how this worse, was, I don't know. How this was described, I don't know. It seems like private privatization might have held up its end of the bargain in this case. But I don't know. What Just, do you mean? Like, their original goal was to bring on more passengers and oh, do yeah, that. It so certainly it was seems for like, business, it so seems. I'm saying, it seems like they held up their end of the bargain. Now, on the other hand, mm-hmm. does that mean negligence, negligence happened along the way? Obviously, it did. Right. And the one thing about that, which again, okay, they admitted to negligence. They paid fines. You have to send somebody to prison. Right, which it didn't appear anything happened. If you send a couple, it only has to be one or two. If you send a couple of bigwigs to prison for 10 years, whatever, a year per life, it sends a message. message. Yeah. Because the fine, they're like, whatever, we've got that in, in the, underneath the couch in the frickin', you know, in the CEO's office. But do you so. think that, like, because I do think there's a difference in, like, um, the financial crisis here in the U.S. that caused a worldwide financial crisis, like, 10 years ago. I think there's a difference between sending people responsible for that to prison and sending people 
who were in charge as it pertains to safety. I don't, I don't, cons- I, I don't know if that's really the same thing. The only, the only reason I called for it was because they admitted to it. Like, if it went out into a court case and they got found not guilty of, that'd be one thing. That it was but a systemic sen- failure sure. and of a quasi-governmental yeah. thing. And, and obviously, like, the, the difference that I would find in that... Sorry, Demetrius is being... He's hungry now is what's going on. Um, uh, the difference is that it was a, like... It was bad for business that people died on that oh, yeah. train on the train. It was not necessarily bad for business. All those people going under in their mortgages because they just got bailed out. The banks just got bailed out. True. Um, so it really didn't hurt the banks much no, at it all. Did not. And that that was Our, I don't know. Yeah. Well, we saved the banks. Yes. Yeah. We being we being the, the taxpayers. taxpayers. Yeah. But anyway. Um, it'll end of, end end of, of 2008 financial crisis sidebar. Oh, yeah. But, um, <clears throat> also it would be interesting. I would be very interested to know, like, what was it about privatizing the railways that increased passenger traffic or was it correlation does not imply causation? I mean, I'm guessing it was somehow related, but I would be I'm interested sh- in I'm knowing. sure there would be all sorts if of studies. If they were nicer trains, if. Um, and some I mean, studies people would call fake. Some studies would be like, oh, they're well, biased. So the but there's knows? also, you know, a, a lot of difference just um, in the era, too, because if it was privatized just post-World War II, no, sorry, made public, nationalized, just post-World War II, and then privatized again. Um, in the early 90s. Yeah, in the early 90s, which would be, what, uh, 45 years later? Yeah, getting that yeah right? actually, yes, you Like are. something yeah. like that, that 40, 47, something like that. Then maybe it was a cultural shift as opposed to... Well, it was also... Um, the, maybe a, a population uh, it was boom? Also a, it was also a global economic shift, which had happened like starting in the late 70s, where not just, not just the United States, where more things became privatized. That was happening all over the world. Yes. Well, and in and the... And the UK um, was no exception. Mm-hmm. And... And, and the, all over the world, everybody's experiencing the fallout of so much privatization. It's true. So yeah, and in the eighties, both the U.S. and the U.K. had conservative administrations oh, in big power. Big time. Yes, because um, um, that was a uh, uh, oh, Thatcher. Yes, Thatcher. Margaret Thatcher. Um, Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan were almost the same person. Just it in was two if they, it was as if they were twins, like boy yeah. girl twins. Mm-hmm. And or um, Claire and Frank Underwood, huh? <laughs> yes, but uh, but then apparently I mean, you see, you when it was privatized, it yeah. when it was privatized again in '94, they were still under the UK was still under a conservative administration, whereas the US had moved into well, not a progressive administration, had moved but into a democratic, a lighter version of a conservative administration, <laughs> which is had where moved we still into are. Bill Clinton. Yeah, who uh, is who is a piece of shit. And if anybody tries to tell me otherwise, I will I will give you policy substance, not oh he did this, this and that. I'm talking about bills he signed into law, and I will prove you otherwise. Anyway, we and won't he's have that a discussion. docile old man at this point, but he was just a piece of shit asshole back then, just personally. 
Clearly. That too. Yeah. Sadly for most of the world, he has an undeniable charm and is an excellent public speaker. And can play the saxophone, which endeared him kind to of. many young yes. voters. Anyway, so that was prior to all that ranting. Prior to our 10 sidebars. We're just trying not to think of 31 people being essentially crushed to death on a train. And I didn't get too far into that stuff. If you want to, the Seconds from Disaster like has interviews with people talking about... Like when I was saying that people were standing up, mm-hmm. like one I'm guy sure was talking about... Flying one guy was talking about he just was standing up one second. Next thing you know, he's getting slammed against the wall yeah. and falling down. Yeah. yeah. So there are survivor stories out there to listen to if you want. I, thankfully, I'm going to guess most of those people died pretty quick. It seemed yeah, that most the, people who did die, people who might one, have gotten in the fire. one person okay. died in the fires. Okay. Apparently, from what I could tell, from what the research I saw seemed to indicate, most just died in the crash, like on impact, so and just about everyone else got out. Yeah. Um, now, plenty of PTSD oh, and physical injuries, yeah. and I mean, even I wouldn't get on a train again, probably. Well, you're like you're you're struggling with back problems now, just from repetitive strain from work and stuff. Imagine if you got slammed against a wall in a train wreck. You're probably your back is At fucked up age? or whatever At for my the age. rest Listen of. Listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> At your middle age? No, that's I'm still young. Um, so you're going to live to be 120 is what you're saying? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> there'll, there'll be good drugs by the time I'm 70 <laughs> that I can take me there. We'll just have you cryogenically I'll, t- I'll take I'll take the blue pill instead of the red one. Oh, okay. One. But, uh, yeah, it's different. Like, you know, like growing up playing physical sports and stuff like that, the, the amount of punishment your body can take when you're, like, 16 to mm-hmm. 25, your body cannot hold up the same when you when you get to, like, like 31, like how old I am. <laughs> it's nice that suddenly you're almost three years younger than I am. It is nice, isn't it? <laughs> now I have to worry about you staying alive instead of me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because we know that the non-smoking vegan is way more, uh, who runs every day is way more likely to die than, uh... I'd say the odds are the exact same. <laughs> okay. I'm not wishing for your death. I'm just not for wishing the for yours either. This, is, this is went to a real bad place. <laughs> Talking about all bad things. We're, we're killing each other we're, off now. We're each thinking of how our spouse is going to die. Damn oh. this podcast. What has it done to us? <laughs> but we're sweet, apparently. So uh, that apparently makes we up are, for it. and yes. we make death fascinating. Yes, which, we do. Hey, to me, that's an awesome compliment. That that I wish that was a an iTunes review because it would help. <laughs> We'll see it on the Rolling Stone review, like a Bohemian uh, yes, Rhapsody. Yes, like they did in Bohemian Rhapsody. That's funny. That was hilarious. Mm. Just, just a little, little spoiler. Like apparently, when Bohemian Rhapsody was released oh, as a single, oh, this is a spoiler. This is a historical fact. See, I didn't yeah. know that yeah. it was apparently hated. Oh by yeah, critically. critics were critics panned it. <laughs> like, just like rec- you, record execs did. Like, how could you? Because it was so outside of the norm, and anything that's outside of the norm is first ridiculed. I guess. And then it becomes classic, which is exactly what happened to Bohemian Rhapsody. Which I thought it was fitting that, um, I'm not going to tell any of our audience who he is in case they haven't seen it yet, Mike Myers is in the film, and he is somewhat responsible for bringing that song back. 
Oh, because of Wayne's because of World. Wayne's World, yes. That's right. No, was that, was, that was very... Yes. That was very instrumental. The first time I ever heard that song was because of that movie. Really? I had heard other songs of theirs, like, obviously, uh-huh. We Will Rock You, mm-hmm. and um, what follows up with that. We, we Are the Champions. Are yeah. yeah. I'd heard um, a couple of their songs, but I had, I'd had i never heard that song. I remember when I was little, I, I had to have been eight or younger, being at some sort of sporting event with my dad... And he, him teaching me the stomp, stomp, clap, mm-hmm. stomp, stomp, clap. Oh, yeah. It's such an anthem. Yeah. And it's funny and that that was perfect, intentional. Purposefully, yes. Yes. No, Brian May did it purposefully for audience involvement. Yeah, that was the whole point. And still one of the greatest guitar solos ever. It is pretty when awesome. The, when the guitar comes in, it's just like, yes! <laughs> that was that was the Red Special. I, I, I'm pretty sure they used a replica for the movie, but his guitar, Brian May's guitar... I'm sure Brian May didn't let some actor just, no. like, here's my Red no. Special. No. Treat her nice. But do you know what the Red Special is? He built it with his dad. Yeah. That guitar. You, you told me that. Okay. Yeah. Now I'm retelling my Queen stories to you. Is that how long we've been together now? Yes. I did make you watch Queen live at Wembley 86. When it was pretty great. I enjoyed it. Long. Oh, it's amazing. When I was outside last night, I watched their Live Aid performance. Did you? Because I just we had just seen the movie. Was it close? It was the... pretty damn close. Yeah. Even to... So he had all the Pepsis and the two beers on mm-hmm. top of his piano. That was classic Freddy. And then I remember in the movie, mm-hmm. he went to switch something on. Oh, yeah. He definitely he, did that in the performance. He did that, and I was like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. But yes. I think they tried to recreate it. I'm, As best they could. Yeah. The only thing they left out was uh, We Are the Chan- or we Will Rock You. That's the only thing they left uh, out of the movie. Oh, huh. See, I am not as familiar with their Live Aid performance because I actually think their Wembley performances... Well, they were all at Wembley. Like, Live yes. Aid was at Wembley. But they sold but out Wembley... Live Aid 20 minutes. Right. They sold out Wembley on their own at least... I think it was two or three nights in a row. And that's when they recorded Live at Wembley 86. Um, they sold out to over 100,000 people just by themselves. And those performances... Two nights in a row. Those performances were as good, if not better, than Live Aid, which is often considered the best musical performance in music history. It's just iconic um, because a billion people were watching Live Aid. It's still one of the best, if not the best. A billion people were not watching their two solo shows at Right, right, exactly. So the experience is different. I may have seen it about a hundred times, but... One of our first dates. <laughs> so this has been the Queen Podcast. <laughs> Sorry, I hate, um, well, anybody who's listened to, I, like, I hate any sort of accident, but this train, yeah, fuck this. No. Well, that's no, why we ramble. Yeah. Because if we, all we did was talk about, it's there's nothing funny about tragedy. No. It's, but this is a comedy podcast, yes. so we have to talk about other things. What is funny is the tragedy of this podcast. <laughs> I fully accept the tragedy that is our podcast. I do too. I'm okay with that. So having said that. That was the Ladbroke Grove Rail Crash. Thank you, Olsinda. Let us know if that is even close to how to pronounce your name. We'll fix it next time if it's not. And uh, you do the outro this time. That's right. It's been been a little (laughs) while. It has. So this has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week, and... Know your exits.